Let's go ahead and uh, begin our time in, in prayer and let's commit it to the Lord. Father, I do thank you for those wonderful promises that we just sung about, the fact that you are ever with us, no matter the trial, you are with us. We thank you that your grace is sufficient, no matter how we may feel, that truth remains. Father, as we consider prayer this morning and this whole conference, I pray that you would speak into our hearts in the areas of need, that we would be people who are praying, that we see prayer as vital, that we would have a spirit of prayer about us as we encounter our days. So we look to you, Father, instruct us in this time, speak to our hearts, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. In 1952 a young single American missionary lady went to Ecuador to the Colorado tribe. And her goal was to create a language or an alphabet for this uh, group of people that was only uh, an oral language people group. So she made it her her mission to, to develop that alphabet. And as she went about her work, she faced many difficulties, and there are a lot of obstacles that she had to overcome. To just let you know what some of those look like, um, she faced distractions, she got discouraged. One of the big obstacles that she faced was the, the man that was helping her with learning the language and, and writing things down. He was brutally murdered. So finally, after nine months of hard, hard work, she was able to create the alphabet, to get it in written form. She then went on to another area to work with another people group. And all of that paperwork, all the research, all the notes, she put in a suitcase. And she left it with a a group of missionaries that were going to stay with the Colorado people. Soon after arriving in that new location, she received a letter in the mail. And it was just a few weeks after she had moved. And in that letter, one of those missionaries that had stayed behind told her that that suitcase that had all that research, nine months of hard work, it had gotten stolen. It had been put up on a bus and they were traveling and it had happened before with other suitcases. Uh, but her, her hard work, nine months of hard work, was just gone. So she prayed about it. She prayed a lot about it. And wouldn't it, it be nice to be able to say that God granted her request and she was able to recover that suitcase? But the truth is, it was never found. Here she was doing a work for the Lord, and she thought, if only God would answer this prayer by recovering the suitcase, surely God would be glorified with that. But God was glorified with a no. By the way, the name of that missionary is Elizabeth Elliot. And this was her first experience when she arrived in Ecuador before she... Uh, got married to Jim Elliot. Have you ever prayed about something you thought 
if, if the Lord would answer in the way that I'm trusting him for, then surely he would be glorified. And so you persevered in prayer. You endured in prayer. And yet the Lord said no. I'd imagine that in a group this size, that that's been the case, that we've all experienced that. And of course, when that happens, it can be very discouraging. The evil one can come and we have an enemy that will shoot those fiery darts and we get doubts. Perhaps we think, well, maybe the Lord just doesn't care. Is he even hearing my prayers? So how should we respond when the Lord says no? The Lord always answers prayer, right? There's there's no unanswered prayer. It's just that sometimes he has us, he grants the request. Sometimes he has us wait, but sometimes his answer is no. So how do we respond? Well, we're going to look this morning at the experience of a man whose life has been recorded in the word of God. That man's name is Paul. Even in Paul's experience, the Lord said no to him. And you would think, wow, you know, Paul, surely he, he's the great apostle Paul. Surely God would always grant his requests. No. The Lord said no to Paul. So we're going to look at how, how did Paul respond to the Lord saying no? And through that, what are we to learn? What should be our response? How are we to imitate Paul's faith? in those instances when the Lord says no to us. So go ahead and turn to in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Before we, we read, uh, as we were reminded last night, context is king. That's the way I was taught it. Context is king. It, it helps you to, you know, you don't want to take a verse out of context to what keeps you from misinterpreting a verse is to keep it in context. So just to give you a little understanding of what's going on in this, this situation with the Corinthians, um, you know, the Corinthian believers had a lot of problems. Perhaps you're familiar with this. Um, they, they had the issue of sexual immorality in the church. Um, they, they had major, major divisions within the church. So a lot of different problems. And really, one of the, the reasons for these problems was that they had allowed co- culture and society and their old way of living to enter into their church. Um, and so, so much of the flesh was coming out as believers. You know, they were saved, but the old flesh was still there, and it was coming out in their relationships. And uh, and so Paul was very concerned about that. He had been at Corinth, and the church had grown, and um, and yet these believers, their minds hadn't fully been renewed, and, and they were still very much immature, baby Christians. And so they had a lot of different problems. Now, one of these other problems that they had was they were accepting leaders who weren't true believers. They were false apostles. 
And back in that time, in, in the culture of Corinth, they, they highly respected great orators, people that could just get up and argue their case and make a strong argument. And they were, they, they consider them like celebrities, kind of like sometimes we do with movie stars nowadays. So they really looked up to them. And so some of these came into the church and they were false apostles is the way they're called. And one of the things that they were doing within the church is they were undermining Paul's authority. And they were attacking his leadership. And, and so Paul responds to that in, in 2 Corinthians, in the latter part from chapter 10 onward. And so where we're picking up in chapter 12, Paul's already been discussing this issue of the false apostles. And, you know, the fact that they've been opposing him. And so part of Paul's strategy in, in responding to these false apostles is to boast. And, um, and you know, if you, if you were to think, well, if you were Paul, surely if you, you know, you're trying to oppose these false apostles who are opposing you, surely you would say great things of what you've done, right? Look at me. I'm the great apostle Paul. I've written so many letters that are now scripture. And, you know, you'd go on and on about, about that. And, and yet what Paul does is he boasts about what God has done in his life and, and what the experiences that he's put into Paul's life and how God has met him in those difficulties and in those trials. And so um, in, in chapter 11, Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And, and you're kind of thinking, well, why would you do that, Paul? Again, like surely you would want to boast about your strengths and, you know, let them know about all the good things. But Paul says, no, I want to boast about my weaknesses. And so why? Well, that's what chapter 12 answers. Why does Paul boast about his weaknesses? So he answers the, the reason for that and that question. So let's begin in chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm going to read a section and we'll, we'll talk through different components of it as we go along. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in body or out of body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So here Paul is talking about this man and has a vision, uh, an experience. And it's this man goes into this third heaven and later talks about paradise and third heaven. There's different ways you can think about it. There, there, there was this thought at that time that the first heaven is like the clouds, you know, where that is, that atmosphere. 
the second heavens up where the stars are, and then the third heaven is where God is. That That's kind of one idea of what is being talked about, the third heaven. There's another thought, Calvin thought this, of, well, third, you know, the, the number three is like completion and... Um, and so maybe that's the kind of the idea behind third heaven, but, um, but really Paul's just saying, you know, he's taken up into the presence of the Lord in this vision. And we know that it's Paul, even though he, he doesn't really say it's him, but later on, in fact, in the next verse, in verse seven, he, he alludes to it. Okay. It was really me. Um, that this was my experience. And that's not surprising. Paul had visions. You look at the book of Acts and you read these different visions and experiences that he had. Uh, so it wasn't uncommon for Paul uh, to experience this. So, you know, he says, well, I could boast about these experiences. You know, I've, I've had these incredible visions. But no, I, I want to vo- boast about my weaknesses. So, again, why? Why boast about his weaknesses. Well, he's going to explain that in verses 7 through 10. And he gives a little bit of background to his weaknesses. And in one in particular in verse 7. So let's read verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited or from exalting myself. So Paul says there was this thorn that was given. What, what was this thorn? What's he talking about? Well, Paul doesn't really tell us ever. Uh, there's different opinions. In fact, one commentator says, you know, there's like 12 different opinions that everyone's tried to argue, you know, it's like, this is it sort of thing. But we really aren't certain. Uh, but you could generalize how people normally take this thorn and they take it in two directions. One direction is that it was a physical ailment, some sort of perhaps with his eyes, because in Galatians, he kind of alludes to something with his eyes, a problem with his eyes. So it could be like something along those lines. Some have said, no, it's probably malaria. Um, But again, you look at different commentators, they say different things, Uh, but it could be a physical problem a thorn that was um, he was struggling with. The other direction that commentators generally go is that it was a spiritual problem, that perhaps he was facing a thorn in the form of like discouragement in ministry, and um, you know he was uh, getting opposed by demons, and and so there's this spiritual opposition that was kind of a thorn in in his flesh. Um, but again, Paul doesn't really clarify that. But we just know he's experiencing some sort of pain, uh, some sort of difficulty here. He does, though, say that behind it is a messenger of Satan. So it seems like there is a demonic element to, to this thorn that, that Paul has. And so it's causing great pain. Um, it's a messenger of, of Satan. And, um, and it's something that was given to Paul. Uh, that's clear there. It was some, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So clearly Paul sees that it's God that's allowed this in my life. It's been given to me. And, and perhaps hearing this, maybe you think of Job, Job's experience, right? God allowed 
the devil to do a lot of harm to him and to his family. Um, ultimately, it was God, though, that was allowing that to take place. Um, and so it, it seems like maybe this is a similar situation with, with Paul. Something else we know about this thorn um, is that it was harassing him. That's, that's the ESV, the NASB, is it was tormenting him. And the idea behind this Greek word is that he's getting beaten up like with a fist, like punched in the face, pretty much. So this is torment. It's beating him up, this thorn in the flesh. And so it's causing him tremendous pain and agony, and he doesn't like it. It's not what he would want. And we know, based on verse 7, The reason for this, or at least one reason why God has allowed this, and as I've already mentioned it, it's to keep him from exalting himself. The Lord's using this thorn in Paul's life to keep him humble. To keep him humble. You know, Paul had this great experience of going into the presence of the Lord and and hearing things that shouldn't be uttered by man. Uh, Incredible experience. And he could have thought, well, aren't I a great Christian? And yet this thorn that's in him is keeping him from exalting himself. It's keeping him humble. Doesn't that show that from God's perspective, humility is of great importance? God allowed Paul to have this spiritual experience, this vision, but God also allowed Paul to experience pain to keep him humble. Why? Because proud people cannot be used by God. God resists the proud. That's strong language. God doesn't work with proud people. They're not usable. And so God allows this thorn in his life so that he remains humble and he remains usable. I'm reminded of Moses. Moses, you know, he grew up in Egypt. He was given the best education, trained. There's thoughts that um, he was even a great warrior at some point, fighting for the Egyptian army. Um, according to some traditions, that, that's what's been mentioned about him. And, you know, he's this kind of rising star. And at some point it would seem like he thought, I'm meant to lead the people of Israel. God is giving me all this experience to, to lead them. And so one day he's out and he's in the area where the Israelites live and he sees this Egyptian beating up on an Israelite and he looks this way and that way. No one else is really around. And he steps in and he murders the man. He murders the Egyptian, but it backfires on him, doesn't it? The next day, there's others quarreling, Israelites, and, and they're like, you know, he steps in again, and, and they're like, what, what are you doing? Like, who made you judge and prince over us? Who's, who made you our leader? Shocked Moses. Yet Moses wasn't wrong. God was going to use him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, to be their, their leader and their judge eventually. But what was wrong was he was too proud to be used by the Lord. He needed another 40 years tending sheep out in the wilderness before he finally came to a place of brokenness. 
course, then he went to the other extreme of pride, and that is, I can't do what you're telling me to do, Lord. So there's, there's a tension here between, you know, the pride of, I can do this, and the pride of, I can't, even though the Lord's telling me to do it. And the middle ground is, I can do this with the Lord. Because the Lord says, I'll be with you. Go and be, go be the leader. I'll be with you. That's enough. And, you know, Moses, we know the story. He gives all these excuses. Oh, I can't, I can't do this. Who are they going to say, you know, is telling me to do this? And I, I don't have the lips to do it. I can't talk. I'm not a public speaker. And, you know, he gives all these excuses. But Moses was proud and God needed to humble him because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so Paul, Paul was humbled by this thorn in the flesh. And so he sees this and he knows this is one of the reasons that God has allowed this and, and, and it's there in my life. But Paul, even though he understood that the thorn is a benefit in some sense in keeping him humble, he still doesn't want it. Now let's see his response to this in, in verse 8, Paul's response to his weakness. We've heard the background of it in verse 7. Now the response to it is in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul, he prayed with great intensity. His first response is prayer, and that's the response we should all have to any problem in our lives, right? Is prayer. And, and so he does respond in that way, and he prays in intensity. Uh, he, in the NASB, it says he implored him, or in other versions, it says he pleaded with him. I, ple- impl- I pleaded, or I implored the Lord to take this away, that it should leave. He really wants this thorn gone. And he knows God's in control, so he's going to the Lord about it and praying about it. He doesn't want it anymore. And we're told he prays with perseverance three times. Now, we don't know the timing of it. Was it three times the same day? Was it like one day he prayed and then the next day? And so over the course of three days, we don't know the timing of those three times. But we do know he persevered in it. It wasn't like he just prayed about it once, but he kept praying about it. It says three times I prayed about it. So he prayed with great intensity and perseverance. And then in verse 9, we read the Lord's response to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. Let's spend a little bit of time thinking about the Lord's response. Then we're going to get to Paul's response. Because again, we're considering how do we respond when the Lord says no. But the Lord's response to Paul is essentially, no, I'm not going to take this thorn away. Now that's not the exact wording, right? Um, he, he says much more than that. But again, here, the great apostle Paul, even he gets a no in answer to his prayer. You know, sometimes when the Lord says no, we it's almost like we take it personally. And we, we feel like, oh, God doesn't really care about me, and um, I'm just a nobody, so um, I, I, just, I don't even feel like I can pray anymore, and we start spiraling downward and downward and get discouraged in prayer. Uh, but even to Paul, the Lord said no. 
So let's think about this response and what the Lord says to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, one observation is actually in the word said. He said to me. In, in the Greek, that verb tense there is the idea of something that endures. It's a response that endures. So it's not just that the Lord says it once and it applied to one this one situation, but it's something that's said that continues on. It endures. It stays on. It applied to Paul beyond just this situation, this one particular thorn. And so he says, my grace is sufficient. Grace, we know, is, of course, God's unmerited favor. But what does that mean? My grace is sufficient. Well, I think to understand that word grace, we, you have to consider the whole response of the Lord. Because he says, my power or power, we add in more the, the pronoun my, but, um, you know, grace has the idea of the Lord's enabling, the Lord's empowering in this instance. God's grace is going to empower Paul in his weakness. And, and it's going to give him the strength that he needs. It's God's favor in the form of strength and, and, and enabling in the midst of this pain and weakness that he has because of the thorn. But where does that grace come from? Well, it's the Lord. The Lord is the source. It says, my grace. It's the Lord who's enabling Paul. I appreciate how uh, Mole, we heard about him, H.G. Mole earlier, how he says it. Grace is just the Lord of all love and power himself in action for us. I'll read that again. Grace is just the Lord of all love and power himself in action for us. So it's the Lord himself that's going to be enabling and empowering Paul. So it's not Paul's strength, it's Christ's strength that's living out through. It's Christ's life living out through Paul's life. Death in Paul so that the life of Christ might be made manifest. Paul writes that earlier on in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians. So the Lord is going to enable, he's going to bestow his favor, his power, himself. He's going to make that all available to Paul in this weakness, in this thorn. And it's sufficient. My grace is sufficient. It's adequate. It's enough. In the Greek, the sufficient is emphasized. It's, it's definitely enough for you, Paul. Even in the midst of great pain, and even though you don't want it, it's enough. My grace is enough. And the Lord goes on to say, my power is made perfect in weakness. What does it mean, made perfect? Well, it has the idea of completion, that you've reached a goal. One way that it's been put, um, my power comes to full strength in weakness. Full strength. It's there. It's available. And where is Paul again going to know that full strength? It's in that weakness. Weakness has the idea of deficiency, lacking. He's unable to deal with this thorn and he's lacking and he's deficient. 
And so again, ultimately the Lord says no to Paul. I'm not going to take this thorn away, but that's not the end of the story. Paul, the Lord says to Paul, my power, my life is available in the midst of it. And so even in this weakness, Paul gets to know something of the Lord Jesus at work in him and through him in the midst of that weakness. So that's the Lord's response to Paul. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect. It's, it's brought to full strength in that area of your weakness. So how does Paul respond then? Well, the Lord says no. So he could turn to becoming bitter towards the Lord. But that's not the direction that Paul goes. What does he say? Look at the end of verse 9. Paul's first conclusion, he's, he's going to draw two conclusions based on what the Lord has told him. He says, first of all, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So again, why is Paul talking about boasting? Again, consider the context. He's been talking about boasting and, and boasting in his weaknesses. And, and so here's the reason why he chooses to do so. And notice it's not just begrudgingly, ugh, but it's I, I'll more, all the more gladly boast about my weaknesses. So he's not discouraged. He's not sulking. He's not having a pity party. He's not bitter. No, he's joyful. He's glad. And he's going to boast so that the power of Christ might rest upon him. The, this phrase means that the, the power of Christ may pitch a tent over me. That's kind of the idea again in the, in the Greek. And of course that word picture comes, um, and, and you think of the tabernacle where the people of Israel were coming out of, of Egypt. God had just delivered them from slavery. If you remember, as they journey on, God says, I want you to build a tent, a tabernacle. And so God empowers them to do that. And they build this this tabernacle. And if you remember, at the end of Exodus, when they finish building it and everything's set up, that God's glory comes down on that tabernacle. And no one can even come near it. It's so majestic, so glorious. And so this, this same idea is here that in this weakness, Paul experiences the presence and the power of the Lord. And it's like his power is just put a tent over him and it, his power would rest upon him, dwell upon him, pitched a tent over him. Now notice the word weaknesses. What do you notice about it that's different than what has just been said? It's plural. That's interesting. Paul doesn't just say, I'm going to all the more boast gladly about my weakness, singular. He says, weaknesses, plural. So why make a big deal about that? Well, again, it goes back to what the Lord told him, that word, that verb said, and how it's 
the the tense there has this idea of an ongoing, enduring statement. So Paul sees that God's response to him about this particular prayer request, this particular thorn, that one response is something that applies to all of his weaknesses in his life. Not just this one weakness, but weaknesses. Paul's going to have other weaknesses, and he lists them in in verse 10, that for the sake of Christ, he endures hardship and persecution. And yet, even in the midst of that, Paul knows God's going to strengthen me. His grace is sufficient for me, even in those weaknesses. So, what Paul sees in, in God's response to him is a principle that applies beyond just this one thorn in the flesh. It's an ongoing principle. So that any time that he's feeling deficient, feeling lacking for the sake of Christ, he knows that he has the empowering from the Lord to um, to endure. It's sufficient what God is providing for him. So he says, I will glo- boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. But then in verse 10, Paul has a second conclusion that he He draws from when the Lord says no. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's content, or well content, or even some translations take it, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. But notice, he does put somewhat of a condition on there in verse 10. He says it's for the Lord's sake. Paul's not getting into hardships because he sinned and, and, you know, he's not being insulted because he's done something that truly, you know, is wrong. No, he's standing for the Lord. He's living for the Lord. And he's then facing all of these trials and difficulties. And he knows that God's grace is sufficient. That when he's weak, he is then strong in the Lord's strength. And the Lord is sustaining him, making up for what is lacking in in Paul's life. So, how does Paul respond to when the Lord says no to him? Well, there's really two parts to Paul's response, isn't there? The first part is the fact that he's learned to look to the Lord to supply what he needs, the power and the strength to endure whatever the Lord allows in his life. He's learned that when I am weak, I look to the Lord and I am strong. That it's he's the source of my sufficiency. And I he's, he's learned that, again, it's not just in this thorn situation. It's when he's living for the Lord and he encounters these other weaknesses, these other persecutions and hardships, it's in those instances as well that he's called on to trust that God's grace is sufficient. This is an enduring principle in his life. And so each time as he faces those, he's going to have to trust that what the word that God has spoken to him is sufficient for that particular need, that particular situation. He's going to have to trust God yet again that God's grace is sufficient for that particular 
weakness. Imagine you're Paul, and again, the Lord is allowing something else in your life, another hardship. You might be tempted to think, oh, this time I can't deal with it. I mean, I know the Lord met with the thorn, but I don't know about this situation. What's Paul going to have to do? He's going to have to come back to, well, the Lord has told me this, and I've got to trust him in this new particular situation, this new weakness, this new insult, this new hardship that I'm facing. I'm going to have to live by faith. I'm going to have to trust that what God has said applies to me now, and I'm going to have to live it out in this current new situation, this new weakness that I'm facing. So Paul is going to have to continue to come back to the Lord, continue to believe the Lord for his word, to take him at his word, that God is going to remain faithful. So that's one part of, of Paul's response to when the Lord says no to him. But there's another part to it as well. And that is this, that Paul is having to submit himself to God's purposes in his life. Paul doesn't want this. He says it. And he prayed about it. He prayed with great intensity. He prayed with great perseverance. He doesn't want the thorn. And yet the Lord says, you're going to have this thorn. But my grace is sufficient. So Paul is having to submit himself to God's purposes in his life. Again, it's been given. God has allowed this in his life. And he has to come to a place of acceptance to what God is allowing in his life. And he does. He understands that it's in those weaknesses that he can only experience what can only be experienced in those weaknesses. And that's why he says, I'm content. I'm content with any difficulty, with any persecution and and, and insult. Because when he's weak, then he experiences the strength of the Lord in that weakness. So Paul is accepting. He is submitting himself to that thorn that he's been given. Why? Because he knows that in submission, the Lord's going to meet him. And he's going to give himself to Paul in a way that Paul wouldn't know otherwise. Let me read to you another quote um, by Elizabeth Elliot. It comes from the same book that I read, um, that are, I told you about that story. It's These Strange Ashes. It's, it's a really thin book, um, and I highly recommend it. It's her first experiences of, of missionary life in Ecuador. And she writes this in, in this that book, It was a long time before I came to the realization that it is in acceptance of what is given that God gives himself. It was a long time before I came to the realization that it is in acceptance of what is given that God gives himself. We heard about that last night, right? What Paul could have seen as an obstacle was really an opportunity. He was submitting himself to God's purposes for him to remain in jail, not to roam around as a missionary, established churches, but to have to stay in jail. What was he doing? He was accepting God's purposes in his life for that season of life. And it was there that he met the Lord. 
That's where the Lord met him. It's in acceptance of what is given that God gives himself. So, have you prayed about something? Perhaps it was even recently, not too long ago, and you felt like, oh, God, you would be glorified if only you would answer in this way. And the Lord said no. How did you respond? Sometimes we don't respond like Paul, right? Just being honest, we don't. Sometimes we allow the, the no to discourage us. And as I mentioned, you know, we, we have an enemy. And he'll shoot these fiery darts at us. And we can struggle. And we can get to that point where we even maybe wonder, well, why even pray? You know, I prayed so much about this. And, and why even pray? Perhaps there's even bitterness there. How could God do this? How could he allow this? How could he allow the pain, the struggle? Why did he say no? But what was Paul's response? What should be our response when the Lord says no? Well, again, how did Paul respond? By learning to look to the Lord to supply the enabling. In whatever situation he's learned, I've got to look to the Lord. I've got to go back to the Lord. His grace is sufficient in whatever situation that you're in, maybe that you've prayed about and, and the Lord said no, are you looking to the Lord? Are you trusting Him to meet you? He makes Himself available to you, to all of us. But until you trust Him, you won't know His enabling. Until you trust Him, you're, you're not going to know His enabling but he's made himself available to us. Will you trust him? Every new situation that Paul encountered, he was called on to trust the Lord yet again. So that was Paul's first response by learning. He's got to keep his focus on the Lord. He's got to continue to, to trust the Lord, to supply the enabling, no matter what the new weakness is. But Paul also responded with acceptance. He accepted the purposes of God in his life, even if those circumstances were painful, even if they were difficult, even if they weren't what he really wanted. Are you and I, are we submitting ourselves to God's purposes in our lives? Paul says, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's go ahead and close our time in, in prayer. Father, I thank you that we can trust in you. I thank you that you don't leave us in a place of discouragement. Father, you are the all-knowing God. And... Um, I thank you that we can entrust our lives to you and leave it up to you. If we never even know why you work a certain way. Father, meet us to come to that place of acceptance, of trusting in you. And Father, I pray that you would enable us 
to really lay hold of all the riches that we have in Christ. To not look to ourselves, but to continue to look to you. Father, meet us to do this for your glory. I, I pray for anyone in this room who perhaps has been discouraged and struggling. Father, would you not lift their countenance up to you in this time, in this weekend? Father, I thank you that we can come before you to pray, to lift up our requests, to praise you, to worship you. Thank you for making the way possible through your Son. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.